mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to another episode of Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chiclet that made us who we are. My name is Karen O'Donoghue and I'm an author, a journalist and an heir to a Taiwanese plastic fortune. Joining me is Wei Ming Cam, a writer, publishing maven and the first person to ever pair a vintage Yves Saint Laurent smoking jacket with $3 boutique shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Today In we're... my dreams. <laughs> So fashionable, so elegant. Um, today we're talking about Kevin Kwan's Crazy Rich Asians. So, um, Ming, we've never met before today, but mm-hmm. we've been tweeting each other about this book and also the film for over a year. On and off. And I think we will continue to do so until the last film is released. They are filming the last two films in a row next oh, year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, and then, well, then clearly Kevin Kwan's going to come up with something else. And so basically, until Kevin Kwan is, is dead, we, yes. we will be linked. <laughs> About this ridiculous book. Um, okay, so what? Um, what? What's your relationship to these books? What makes them so addictive and compelling? What's your history with them? Um, they are just so over the top. I so I first encountered them. Um, let me see. I think it was two thousand and eleven. I was kind of like on the first year of what I thought was going to be my only gap year and then it sort of turned out it was going to be four. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was in Singapore airport, I think, um, probably on my way to see family. My family are from Malaysia uh, originally and I have some um, like family in Singapore as well. So I was in Singapore Changi Airport and I was just wandering around and obviously I came upon the bookshop and was like, well, I have to go in. And there was this massive wall of um, crazy rich Asians and... um, it was a really nice cover as well. It was like hot pink with gold glittery lettering. And I was like, what on earth is this? This looks just like ridiculous fun. So I picked it up, read the blurb and I was like, okay, cool. Um, and then I like read it on the plane home and I was like, this is hilarious. Like actually hilarious. Um, I kind of recognise like bits of, uh, you know, the culture that they describe in terms of, you know, my family from uh, Malaysia and Singapore. I sort of go back every couple of years um but you know the rest of it the fact that they are all incredibly yeah. rich and snobby and awful people <laughs> i was just like, obviously this is like nothing that i've ever encountered before so i kind of it kind of struck me how it was kind of like um like a a posh a posh rich like english trashy book but like set in singapore and hong kong and places that i kind of recognize and i loved that i really enjoyed that that must have been incredible especially in singapore airport as well like you're literally clipping it right off the vine yeah <laughs> yes, like, yeah getting, getting that fruit fresh from the source <laughs> um, i'm gonna have a quick plot summary um although I, I i would hope everyone would know the plot by now um but yeah let me get into it So Rachel Chu is an economics professor and Chinese-American who is visiting her boyfriend Nick Young's family in Singapore for the wedding of his best friend, Colin Koo. 
Little does Rachel know that Nick belongs to the most elite and most private family in Singapore and that Nick is the de facto heir to that fortune. Rachel sort of spends the summer being terrorised and intimidated by this intense web of Singapore millionaires and then she accidentally learns some home truths in the process. But um, the thing that, like, the opening of this book is, like, one of the strongest introductions, I think, because we have this very, very powerful scene where um, these kids, it's set in the late 80s, and we have all the all the main players, which is uh, Nick Young, his cousin Astrid, his their other cousin Eddie, and, and oh, all yeah, their parents. Eddie as well. Eddie's there! Awful even as awful, a child. <laughs> awful even as a child. And they're in, um, they're soaking wet in London in 1986, and they're, um, they have this... Uh, reservation at this very elite hotel and mm. the concierge doesn't believe they have the reservation or he, or he does believe it but he thinks that because these that these Chinese people will like bring down the tone he's a racist basically he's a fucking yes. racist <laughs> he's the, a rank racist and um, Eleanor Young who is the matriarch of this family responds by buying the hotel <laughs> and kicking him out yeah I and the film as well like basically replicates that entire scene almost verbatim um, and I kind of like I think my initial reaction to that scene both when reading it and then watching it in the cinema last year was very similar in that I absolutely loved it It was it's very satisfying but then you know you take a few minutes to like move on to like the next chapter or the next like bit of the film and you're like well I mean that's nice and everything but like Money doesn't solve racism. And also, yeah. what happens to those who don't have money? Yeah, who, 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 who can't buy their way out of racism. Yeah. And there's also, I think it's a really important scene. And I think it's why, like, as, as like trashy and fun and glitzy as this book is, it's also, like, to me, it's, like, more than the sum of its parts or something. Oh, yeah. Because it's, like, Eleanor Young identifies, and that whole generation identifies so much with that sort of British colonial taste thing. And all the things they love and appreciate come from that stem. And like here she is being rejected by this culture that she sees herself as being and a yet, part of. They never they never reject it. Because yeah. because like all of that money and that um that history from colonialism means that you know, they they're still taken in by, you know, the white upper class in Britain and elsewhere. Yeah. Which is so awful. I think that's like that's probably one of the main things besides uh <laughs> let's move on um, but like that's one of the main things that i really don't like about this book like this whole series is that obviously kevin kevin kwan has been very open about the fact that he is a part of this world he went to an elite boarding school in singapore like he has many friends amongst like this rich set like set of people um and you can tell that the books are trying to like be satirical, but not very hard. Mm. Like he's mm. too much, you know, every, there's so much description of everything. All of the, you know, the brand names yeah. and like uh, the food, which is the, the food, the food description is fine. That's just part of like culture generally. Yeah. But there's so much description of everything and it's so like luxuriated upon and you can tell he's still, like, he's in love with it too, obviously. That's so interesting. There's such a struggle there, though. I think that's so interesting because he's, like, um, he obviously is, like, very um, biting about the people who he sees as uh, being 
like disgustingly wealthy and treating it terribly. Yeah. But he also has a lot of prestige for wealth itself when wealth is used what he thinks as properly. Oh yeah. You know, like he, like he, we're all in love with Astrid Leong and he's in love with her too. Oh you my know? god, she's my wife. And okay, so explain to me who Astrid my wife. is. Yeah, <laughs> my wife, my beautiful wife. Um, oh, you dare speak to my wife. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, yeah. So I was telling like. um Carolyn before like this started that I was texting one of my friends um before this and like we talked about Astrid and immediately both of us were just like my wife <laughs> and I just think like nearly everyone who reads this book or watches the film oh yeah Gemma Chan um Chan. just call me um she's just made of smoke and silk she's That's incredible just like she's not a, not a real person but um Everyone loves her, and I so think. So, tell me, like, give me a description, like, who she is. So she's like uh, Nick Young, one of the other, the main characters' um, cousin, and they're both like very close because even though they're both like heirs to these obscenely like rich fortunes, um, they kind of stand out a bit because unlike nearly everyone else around them, um, like they're very. They're very confident because of their wealth. But apart from that, um, I kind of feel like they kind of stand out because they can't, they're kind of almost embarrassed by it. Yeah. You know, um, they don't feel like they need all of the money to be satisfied with life. But of course, it's very easy for them to say so because they've always had it. Mm. Um, and they can afford, you know, Nick can afford because of his wealth to be happy with his, you know, teaching career as a history professor and new york city um and she can afford to just like fly around being some sort of like patron to you know yeah. these new up-and-coming like fashion designers but yeah it's, so it's on. only the very wealthy who can afford to say things like money doesn't matter to me yeah you know? exactly but they they kind of stand out just because they aren't and this is what's interesting about i think kevin's like attitude towards certain characters um he clearly like really loves astrid as a character mm. And slightly to a lesser extent, um, Nikki and uh, Rachel and Colin Araminta. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I think it's because, like, they're not, like, what you would call vulgar about their wealth. And, you know, they have they have good taste and, yeah. you know, they, and, they and, like and, their arty, like, but in a genuine way, they love their, like, yeah. art and history and English and, and so on. And, you know, Astrid loves doing, like, charity work. Um, how very generous of her, yeah. etc. But it, it's like one of these. Th but it's like Astrid spends as much as anybody else. But she. But the thing is, like, he differentiates it with like she's, she's classy. It's like she is. She it's things of true beauty. Like she's a connoisseur of the beautiful. It's like that's why she'll wear like a linen dress from Mango with like these obscene like diamond earrings. You know. And yeah. Oh my god. There's. I always remember that scene from like book two where. Um, Colette Bing, who's that ridiculous Chinese like fashion blogger, but yeah. also a billionaire, oh, yeah. is just like, oh my god, where did you get that dress from Zara? And she notices all of these like high end fashion other accessories, like the boots that Ashley is wearing, and these like bracelets, which are actually fucking antiques. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, they're, like, they're literally from like a like a Etrus dynasty that no longer exists. Yeah, like, like the, the Etruscans in Italy from like <laughs> AD six fifty. Um, and then she asks about like the dress that Ashley is wearing, and she was like, "Oh, I bought it from Zara the other day." <laughs> and that's I think the thing is though, like I can't help but love Ashley, and I think nearly everyone can't help it because yeah. Kevin has so written her to be so likable. Oh, totally. So likable and so like sympathetic. And also, there's like a kind of a 
beautiful serenity about her character. Like, I mean, he's literally he gives her the nickname the goddess. The goddess. Oh, and like what I love about her as well is that the way she's introduced to us is that um she's in Paris because she goes every year to get her couture <laughs> yes. fittings. Like oh, oh she's so God. aspirational. Um and like and like as someone we see her through the eyes of like some Europeans, some white Western Europeans who are at this fashion show. Yeah. And someone says like oh whose mistress is she? And the ends them like uh she is a double heiress. She's the richest woman in Asia. <laughs> like and then and then like suddenly everyone's attitude towards her changes because she's got money. Yeah. See, that's the thing about these books. I love them. They are so ridiculous. Um, and we know that we're supposed to, like, hate most of these people. They are terrible. Um, I mean, my... Like, like, having that much money is immoral. Like, it is. It just is. Oh, yeah. No, like, my yeah. personal like attitude towards these people in real life is, eat the fucking rich. <laughs> but... It's just enjoyable because, like, none of us will ever like get yeah. that much money. So it's just like, oh, this is this is an insight into something that we will yeah. never encounter. Like, who who actually knows about you know the best naval architects for a yacht or whatever? None of us know about any of this, but we get like but an insight into it. That's why it's so brilliant because you get this like trashy, vulgar, like oh, diamonds, 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 cars, yeah. cars, cars. But then at the same time, you're learning about the history of like Singapore and like how like the different shifts of wealth within Asia itself, and like you learn not just about Singapore, but like you learn about like you know Hong Kong and like uh, wh- the way mainlander mainland Chinese people are perceived oh, by yeah. the Singapore people as well, and it's just. Yeah. It's incredibly like deep. Like there's a lot of yeah. layers I mean, there. Obviously I don't recommend these books for like uh, a history guide to like Southeast Asia. No, yeah. <laughs> and East Asia. Um I mean that's all very guided by like uh Kevin Kwan's viewpoint as well. Um but it is interesting, like I'm sure loads of people will go off and research it, but obviously not to an extent that Yeah. I would like them to. <laughs> um, but, like, you're not supposed to. You know, you're supposed to, like, enjoy these books and be like, oh, yeah, Singapore and Hong Kong yeah. and China. And I guess maybe I'll go on holiday there. It's like, well. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Yeah, Yeah. I suppose. What's interesting as well is like the, the, the battle between the younger and the older generations in this book. Because, like, you've got, like, Eleanor Young, I said, this this matriarch, mm. and, and she, like, hates... She will spend, like, millions on jewels, but won't pay for a taxi. Um, and, like, and, and, like, really resents sort of spending money on kind of small things like that, like paying for long-distance phone calls. Yeah. And, like, you've got this sort of upper generation of these um, old money um, people, Singaporeans, and um, 
than their children because they're all part of this like booming huge class of people who are getting money very very quickly mm. they're all pay, like living this incredibly extravagant lifestyle so it's like a clash of like extravagance versus like what's the, what's the opposite of extravagance but still wealthy do you know what I mean like yeah I I found it interesting as as well but I think it's basically just like um Kevin picking up on um I think a certain amount of um hang-ups and like a s- no small amount of like trauma from like uh living through like uh colonial era events and also maybe if they're like old enough like world wars as well um i mean again these are still extremely rich people but yeah. um i think throughout the series we start learning that a lot of the older generation like you know lived through world war 2 and then um like independence and so on and so forth so they um, I think in book three, which I haven't quite finished yet, but um, you know, we learned that like some of the older generation um, basically like worked for the British or something, and like yeah. were like basically part of like the anti-Japanese resistance and so yeah. on. Um, it's it's really like weird because it's nice to see some of like that history um, in a book like this, but also it's like. You know, it's not a history lesson. It's kind of like almost immediately like glossed over as part of like this like family drama, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I guess it's still like it was still kind of cool to see that for me. That kind of um, that older generation, so like you know, that trauma sort of acknowledged. But um, you know, there's there's part there's some habits there that people will never throw off. But at the same time, these are really rich people. Like, <laughs> I think you went back to. Yeah, like yeah. I can't, I can't really believe um, in that very much. But you know, you know it's like I, I guess know. they're entitled to their own trauma. I guess, yeah, I guess. I mean, this is the thing though. There's so much in all of these books. Like, there's mental health issues like everywhere. Um, That's interesting. The mental health thing. So Colin, Colin Koo, who is like this. Playboy best friend of Nick Young, who's getting married to Araminta. Yeah. Who's this, um, it I think girl he's model. like the loveliest guy in the trilogy. Very sweet person, but also suffers from depression. Yeah. And, and it's kind of sewn through his character. It doesn't come up a lot, but it's sort of very much part of his experience kind mm. of thing. What do you think that, w- that was intended for, you know? I... <laughs> well, I guess like the idea that wealth fucks you up, like massive wealth fucks you up. Um, to a certain extent, um, and then that that's car- gets kind of carried through uh, book two, and then I think I think it also like book three as well, um, with like oh the books have been out for ages now. I don't care yeah, spoilers. Yeah. Um, like Rachel's brother Carlton, and then also Charlie Wu's like wife Isabel. Um, there's a lot of like um, not that obviously like massive wealth like causes mental illness or whatever, <laughs> but I think a lot of like there's that. Kevin basically just like intimates that it exacerbates that you know like all this pressure um, and this expectation to like inherit these businesses and so on um, from from their parents and families Um, and also the sense of like um, because and it's, this is like why these novels kind of remind me so much of like Regency era or Jane Austen novels because these people are too rich to work they have no jobs but to maintain their own social order yes. so the magnifying glass on all these characters by each other is so like so enhanced all the time they're always being watched 
And like yeah. it just it feels suffocating, you know? I think it was um it's just like it's also an attempt by like Kevin, I think, to talk about mental health in in a culture where by and large mental health still isn't really like acknowledged uh, very much or talked about at all. It's kind of seen as like it's not really seen as something to be like especially with the older generation uh-huh. um isn't seen as like something that you don't acknowledge or that it's not real um obviously like that's a massive generalization but you know you don't go to a, a doctor for like something that's just in your head so to speak um so it was i like that he like dealt with those issues but again it's more a kind of a He's mostly sympathetic to people with, like, mental health issues in these books. But then, you know, um, especially for uh, Isabel and Carlton, their mental health issues are kind of like a way of, like, fam- like either causing family drama or they're a part of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's another thing that I kind of, like, go back and forth on, you know. But obviously these books, again, aren't, like, yeah. a shining example of, like, perfect writing about mental health it, or whatever. It's so interesting because, like, for, because you are... Like obviously a fan of these books and you've read them inside out and like but you're very critical of them at the same time you've got quite a love-hate relationship yeah yeah definitely I have a love-hate relationship and I think even even more so with the film but we'll talk about that later Mm. um they're just really enjoyable they're just really enjoyable um I mean what what like what itch do you think they scratch in your in your literary brain just entertainment <laughs> basically just pure entertainment Basic entertainment and also um he writes about food kind of nicely so yeah. if i'm just like oh i, I love want... that scene where they go to the hawker's market yeah and um although i have to say a lot of the um singaporean and the malaysian diaspora were just like why do they go to that particular marketplace for satay <laughs> oh, really? like that food thing goes like through every like layer of Singaporean and Malaysian like culture yeah. like food is so important and everyone's always just like okay where do we go McCann where do we go eat you know and it's always yeah. like what do you want to eat well, where's the best place for it then and it's like half an hour of discussion like no joke that bit is like that that bit is like a real thing um so it's just really funny because like I I really loved that scene it was nice I was just like Sorry, oh yeah I should, I should say for the listeners and um, the scene we're talking about is basically uh uh, Rachel and Nick step off the plane and they're immediately met, met by um, and Colin, Col- and Colin and Araminta and like which is funny because Araminta looks like a, a teenager she's wearing pyjamas we find out later that and she's glasses. a model yeah. and glasses and they just like go to an outdoor market like drink beers eat food and like oh, it's so just really sumptuous or something like it's just gorgeous Malay I think <laughs> just like start a war here but like Malaysian food is the best uh, Malaysia and Singapore have this real like um, rivalry and yeah. like it really like boils down to like the food stuff as well <laughs> um, but yeah like um, that whole like there was there were people just being like why would they go to this place for like the best satay like that's not that's so funny it's, really, it's just hilarious yeah because it's like in the book there's this huge argument about like where the best satay in the satay is and the fact that like people are reading it being like fuck this this is not where the best satay is from yeah I just I did really enjoy that it's um I think that's the other thing that I enjoyed about the books there was just like there were little bits of um like the culture that I sort of grew up in in there and it was just nice to see that you know like uh, Malaysia Singapore like 
real melting pots of culture, although obviously they do have like racial and class issues. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go into that now. Um, so but, sorry, did you did you grow up in Malaysia? Like, what's your timeline? No, line? so my I was born in um, England, uh, but both my parents come from Malaysia, and like we go back every couple of years. Okay. And then my uncle and his family are in Singapore. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it was just, and then like I've got some cousins in uh, England as well. Um, but yeah, it's just like you. St- there are still bits of the, like of that particular culture that you do recognize, and it's just nice. Like all of the, um, like the Singlish or in Malaysia it would be Manglish, uh, and like the which is um, sort of like the kind of sort of a form of patois kind of thing. Uh, no, I wouldn't call it patois, but it's basically like you know English, but um, there are bits of like loads of dialect in there. So like um, Bahasa Malay and. Hokkien, Cantonese, Mandarin, etc. thrown in that people like use every day. So it's just it was nice to see that. Um I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. I enjoyed all the food a lot. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's just it's just entertaining, isn't it? You're just yeah. like, oh in real life I would hate all of these people. But it's just you're never gonna experience any of this. I looked up, by the way, um <laughs> just like on a whim a few months ago, how much those first class fights from New York to Singapore would be. How much? Um, And I think it's similar for like London to New Zealand because I love New Zealand and I was like, well, I know Singapore Airlines flies the same like route. So, and it was like a similar price, but it's like £7,000 per person return. But I also and, and what's interesting is like that's like the first time that Rachel who um, gets a notion that Nick is from money. Yeah, and they've been going out for two years. He's just they, ah. this is the thing that really annoyed me, especially in the film. He just like kept so much from her. Yeah, how can you be in a relationship with someone that you know virtually nothing about? Yeah. Okay. Let's go digging into like the relationships. Like yeah. so. Fully. Yeah, we've talked about the money a lot. Like, <laughs> I just he's such a. a boring but solid yeah like romance lead but I think that's like what you need because I think really these books are actually about the families yeah um but yeah he doesn't tell her anything and you know in real life you'd be like this is really weird why aren't you telling me anything like are we not serious enough for being out for two years and she says that in the film as well but I was I'm still just like I don't think you're good enough for her. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome and you're just rich and hot. Which I guess is, you know, two of the main three. <laughs> were, you, were you, like, when you read the book, were you actually that invested in them as a couple? No, I was much more invested in the B storyline, which is Astrid and her husband, Michael. Yes. Michael Cho. And um, so the, their situation, it's almost like a mirror of um, uh, Rachel yeah. and Nick. Because Rachel and Nick's situation, it's very like... Um, like, it's very The Prince and Me. It's very, like, <laughs> like oh, I'm just a normal girl. I've been catapulted into this world. And, like, what do I do? What do I do? Yeah. Whereas um, the flip side of that, the other side of the mirror, is Astrid and her husband. And Astrid, um, like Nick, is very, very wealthy, but has fallen in love with someone who kind of comes from not a very esteemed background. And they've been married... I mean, he's all right, though. Like, it's very much stressed that he's middle class. Yeah, no, he's very much a middle class. Yeah. Um, and, like, then... They, they, I think it's established they've been married for, like, five or six years at the time of the um, book's opening. But this guy has been in this family for five or six years. And he's, like, works in a tech startup. He has a tech startup. Yeah. And, like, every time he goes to, like, a family dinner, it's like, Hey, can you fix our DVD player? <laughs> You're a tech guy, right? And, like, um, everyone... All the men in her family find a way to sort of, like like just dump on him and sort of make him feel emasculated yeah. which is so interesting about how 
how sort of like marrying into a different class or a different culture or whatever is a very gendered experience I think mm. I think men and women um, experience very differently because like they Ra- think Rachel experiences it so differently because they think that Rachel is a gold digger and they think that um, Michael is just like not a man because he doesn't earn as much as his own wife I don't know though like there, there was like there's definitely a, a flashback scene where um either Michael or Astrid like recalls that um, her brothers and maybe like an uncle or two basically go grill Michael like from when she's just like no we're we're definitely getting married you know you you stopped me from marrying like my first like boyfriend Charlie Wu so this is gonna happen and then in this flashback scene that either she or he remembers like Astrid's like male relatives go and like grill him and like they basically send private investigators to make sure that he's not like a gold digger yes and and they present him with like a contract being like you're gonna sign this prenup and it means that like you get nothing yeah yeah so it's kind of a similar um like they 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 attribute the same motivation to both michael and rachel but obviously they get treated very differently like rachel basically gets horribly treated by all of these women mm-hmm. um and like frozen out socially and then like her background is also investigated by like eleanor yes. as well like nick's mum but then the way that she gets treated by like almost every um like woman of her age in that social circle apart from araminta and astrid um, and there's like an Australian cousin in there somewhere as well who sent her. Yeah, I really wanted to see her more. No, yeah. she was Colin's sister, like younger sister. Yeah, like, yeah, she yeah. Gets, she gets packed off. To, we don't see her in the film at all. She, but we, she's into like yeah. Sorry, we should say um the first time that she kind of interacts with these people who like on the surface they're being quite sound to her, but then quickly it's like boom you like you're out no way. Um, is uh, Araminta's Hindu. <laughs> On this and, private island. Uh, yeah, I say Hindu very broadly. Like, her Hindu is on a private resort island that her mother owns that, like, is just crazy. Like, like they're all... There's a boutique and they're all allowed free clothes from it. And it's just... She's completely out of her depth. And she's like, wow, this is a bit mental, but I guess I'll just go along with it. And then they basically start, like, hazing her. Yeah. Um, That's really awful, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, like... Um, so there's... Apart from... Araminta, Astrid, and then Colin's younger sister, who we basically never see again, um, and who is like an Australian surgeon who actually works for a living, and is just like, I went to Australia to escape these crazy people. Mm -hmm. Um, She's like treated so awfully, but like in a social manner by all of these women. And I guess like Michael is too but it's it's more a kind of like a condescension uh, like a real yeah. like condescension it's like well i guess you're married because astrid insisted on it yeah um whereas the obviously like the women are sort of seen to be like oh nick's never gonna marry you and we're gonna sure. make sure and, and 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 like and there's this part part where it's like at first it's, like, it's all passive aggressive it's all like overheard conversations and then at the end of the 10 weekend she finds a gutted fish <laughs> on her bed yeah. and it's like a horror movie I remember like because I had an audiobook when I heard it first and I was like seizing up being like they're gonna kill her they're gonna kill Rachel oh god <laughs> it's so awful isn't it yeah but I feel like it's the difference of that is like 
Um, obviously, so um, Michael has condescended to because he's married to a, an heiress, and everyone's like, "Oh, for, well, you're not worth the yeah. whatever." Um, but the the kind of slight thing with Rachel, it feels like, is like. Um, actually, Nick Young is an eligible bachelor. He belongs to this circle of rarefied women. One of us is going to marry him, it's and you better be fuck you. off. Yeah. yeah. Like, do, you will not catch this fish. And that's why there's a fish got it on her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think also, like, Kevin kind of wants us, and then much less so in the later books, um, he kind of wants us to be sympathetic, especially in the first book, to Michael in a certain way. Oh. Um, and I think from a class perspective, I I am. And then for like fleeting moments in book two, you you do kind of feel sorry for him a little bit because he's still very much a, you know, I'm never going to be good enough for you because I'm not from like the right bloodline. I'm not like yeah. someone who's already rich. Um, and Astrid's first boyfriend, Charlie, is also treated like that, even though he's incredibly rich because he's, like, not from, you know, an approved yeah. family and, like, the bloodline or whatever. Um, but he, I think also there's that aspect that of um, ugh, East Asian, like, masculinity or whatever that Kevin wants you to kind of sympathise a little with... Uh, you, you to sympathise with Michael a little bit. It's this weird... Yeah, explain that a bit more... Uh, okay um and it's not it's not that i'm not sympathetic towards this and it's not that i don't think that this like stereotype is incredibly awful and rooted in sort of like colonial stereotypes or whatever but um there's this real like awful like rooted stereotype of like um east and southeast asian men being uh either like effeminate and like um basically not masculine um and just like not desirable at all um and they're either that and or they are incredibly evil they're the yellow peril etc etc yellow peril sorry i've never heard that phrase before i mean mean, fu manchu for example oh sure sure yeah um so i think because of that partly because of that Kevin kind of wants you to feel a little bit sympathetic towards Michael, along with, like, the class aspect of it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, Michael feels that he's never going to be good enough for Astrid in terms of class, but because he he feels like he can't bring anything to the table except himself, like, Kevin kind of emphasises a little bit that he feels a little bit emasculated, so to speak, which I find really... I find this whole, like, discourse around... Uh, so-called emasculation and being seen to be undesirable because East and Southeast Asian men are, you know, because of the white colonial gaze, seen to be effeminate in some way. Um, I find that, especially in the diaspora, very frustrating. Mm. I understand that it's like an awful stereotype to to live with. Um, you know, I think, like, that stereotype is, like, it's been constructed through white supremacy because um you know colonialism means that we want um you to feel like you're not equal to us mm-hmm. um and obviously then there's the other aspect of we're going to completely sexualize your women and view them in a really weird way mm-hmm. um and it's not that i don't sympathize with that or feel like that stereotype is real because it is but I, I just don't think it's, like, the biggest issue that, really? like, East or Southeast Asian diaspora face today. But that seems to be, like, the main thing 
that a lot of like the diaspora like media outlets like neck shock and whatever focus on so much and it's like <sighs> do you think it's to okay. the expense of other issues yeah I'm probably going to get more to, again, Twitter trolls coming after me being like, why don't you care about this? It's like, <laughs> well, you know what? What I actually want, I want East and Southeast Asian uh, men in the diaspora to be seen as like fully rounded human beings. But I don't think that like trying to aspire to some like ridiculous, like white supremacist gaze is the mm. way to do it. Like, you know, you, you just want to be seen as like hot now by like yeah. the white gaze. Like, is that really... That, that's, the re- that's the highest thing that you want to aspire to yeah. you know look I, I appreciate like abs as much as the next person but I mean that film appreciated abs as much as the next person and nice. I appreciated them it was very nice but I'm also just like this is not the biggest issue and the fact that people keep on talking about it you know is like fuckability really like the big thing I th- yeah. you know I want you to be seen as like fully rounded human beings but if all you want is for people to be like oh yeah Asian men are hot that's the stereotype yeah. gotten rid of I'm bored man I'm really bored and also like like psychologically does that create like a fear of softness because it's like if there's already this pretext yeah and there's this also this yeah there's this like also a cultural um thing and again I you know I understand that this is a generalization but there's also a cultural thing of like um these cultures are generally by and large like very patriarchal um there's so many issues like within the community like these sort of communities um that we have to deal with and I'm just (laughs) it's cool you know I enjoy hot I enjoy hot east and southeast asian men but I just don't think that like people aspiring to um, the white gaze and being, like, assimilated into that, um, you know, categorization of, like, yeah. desirability is, like, a good thing to aspire to. Um, so I just don't think... Like, I, I don't think this is, like, the main issue of the book, but it's definitely there, and it's definitely been talked up in, like, the issues around the film as well. Um, and I'm tired of that being, like... If you're going to lean into this weird... Um, you know, representation is really important for like Asian Americans and so on in the like in the marketing of the film. Yeah. Um, I just don't think this is like the biggest issue to be like marketing the film on. Like. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the film a little bit, like, because you seem to have like um, as as mixed reviews of the film as you do of the books, and that's oh, interesting. I enjoyed the film. It's ridiculous. It's very entertaining. It's just be- um, beautifully made as well. Just like so lush and gorgeous and. The colours so... and the jewellery and the like. What Every... did you enjoy most about the film? Um, the emerald. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Just that, like. Did you read the that beautiful inter- jewel? Yeah. Did you read that interview where Michelle Yeoh was like, "Oh yeah, that's my actual real ring." I know. I was like, oh, "You better so work." Good. That was so amazing, good. and like I loved Constance Wu. Constance Wu was just like she can make the most boring line of script so full of energy and life and like she's just she's Julie Roberts like she is like filling that role of like it's such I feel like it's kind of like yeah I feel like it's a kind of a a thankless a thankless role in some regards yeah um but yeah the script I think improved uh characters vastly in some ways I mean you know we are limited to a two and a bit hour film um but then also sort of frustrated me and others and I won't go into that here. Uh, I enjoyed what they did with um, Eleanor Young. 
But I mean, it's it's Tan Sri Michelle Yeoh. Uh, how can you not like like her to some respect? Uh, but they definitely like retooled the script a lot around her because she's kind of like almost a parody in the books, mm. like a parody of like all of those stereotypes about like oh, tiger mums and whatever. Yeah. Um, how, how do you how do you interpret that? Because I, I think that is something that like Western culture has really grabbed hold of. Do you know what I mean? We really like. There's a lot of discussion of No, that. thanks, Amy Chu. Um, <laughs> I kind of, like, hate it and acknowledge that there's a, a small grain of truth to it. Yeah. Um, uh, no, it's like it's a bit like... I mean, it's, it's totally... It's a different thing, but I, I kind of relate in a sense with, like... There's, like, certain Irish stereotypes that make their way into sort of the, the mainstream culture that, like, are both accurate but they're only accurate because they're incredibly broad and like people paint them in a very unnuanced way as the only like as like you know uh drunks are being like super emotionally repressed or like all these like all these things that like are true but also they're true as a result of like okay but you know you're 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 making that joke but you realize that that's the end product of hundreds of years of colonialism (laughs) like and like invasion and like you know and it's like i i enjoy like i don't know if you watch alan partridge at all no, no. <laughs> but basically, he did an Irish parody the other night on like one of his shows, but it was so detailed and so nuanced, and he had so many tiny mannerisms that were so right. I was like, yes, this is the kind of rinsing I want like culture to get. Like, I don't want like, oh, you're Irish, you came in with like a pig under one arm and a fucking thing of stout like stout under the other. Like, I want like people to take the piss out of me, but I wanted them to do it like in a really detailed and loving way. <laughs> yeah, it's that's what I felt about like the books is that. Kevin, like, wants you to hate these people, but he also loves it so much he can't help himself. Yeah. Because he is a part of that world. Um, And a part of it is the wealth thing, but I think also, you know, because he is Singaporean. Like, yeah. It's a lot... For me, it's definitely, like, a love-hate thing with these books. I enjoy them so much, but I'm still just, like... Every time I think about them, I'm just like, oh, my God, but then there's this, and then there's this. Yeah, yeah. I think you can like sort of enjoy them and sort of I, I do this a lot and I think it's why I love sort of mainstream trashy fiction chiclet whatever you want to call it so much is that I do take my sort of internet brain away <laughs> I, just, like, I just like put it in a bin for a while <laughs> of like seeing the problem seeing the issue seeing that sometimes yeah. I like I need for my sanity to like park that <laughs> yeah I think this like I think my, I can summarise it as, like, there's a couple of people online who I follow, and I won't name them, um, who were just, like, I think my attitude towards the film, and it's the same with, like, the books, is that, look, no one's saying that this is, you know, the best film ever to, like, represent or, or et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, and no one's saying that, like, wealth is the best thing in the world. Um, it's, like, an entertaining beach route. Mm. Uh, like in kind of like the best and worst ways. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, that's cool. No one expects these like films to like solve racism. Uh, yeah, but also nobody says. Um, I mean, people don't say like, oh, Jilly Cooper or whatever. That's all just it's just rich people bollocks or like even Jane Austen. <laughs> it's just rich people trash. It's yeah. like it's like yeah, like we we accept that from so much of the white Western canon that like a lot of it is about wealthy people and we don't yes. I mean it's never brought up but like the fact that this is right there in the title it's like crazy rich Asians this is what it is this is what you're getting <laughs> yeah pretty much what um, did you like most about the books actually 
Um, I think I just loved the playfulness of them. And I think what I admired the most is what I admire, and I've made this point a lot on the podcast, which is that um, you can take a really formulaic story, which in this case is that sort of um, ordinary girl thrown into a crazy world and, and love will have to find a way. Yes. Right? That is a formula that we know super well. But I think when you when a formula is like really well known, it gives you enormous space to explore other themes around it. Yeah. Because everyone knows what's going to happen next. You don't um, you almost don't have to worry about the plot, but you can worry about the nuance and the culture and the story. And like, I think it's just a great, like... Yeah, I, that's what I love about it. I think you, yeah. It's nuance on top of something that everyone knows. They think that, everyone thinks they know the story, you know? Yeah. Um, also, I love Peglin. <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love, love Peglin. And I love Oliver Tien. And I just love the people around the sides that are kind of the workers and the machinations and like... Yeah. But that's the thing though. I think, uh, but again, that's, that's one of the other things that I enjoyed is that going in, you know, that like the main couple is good. And yeah. obviously there will be obstacles, but it's less about them like falling in love than like getting through the families and all of the other like stuff that comes the baggage yeah. that comes with it. Yeah. So you're like you're kind of secure enough in like in that and also the formula to just explore everything else. Yeah. And like just to go back to Oliver a little bit because Oliver is um one of the only people of the family who sees Rachel struggling and is like, come here, you know, we're going to, we're going to fix all this. Like you can get out of that dress from the gap right now (laughs) and we will fix this problem that is you. Um, And he's kind of doing it partly because he feels sorry for her and partly because he sort of wants to get one over on the youngs a little bit. He's kind of over their whole deal. Yeah. Um, And he's kind of, he's never explicitly said to be gay. In the books, it's definitely heavily implied. Yeah, it's it's very coded, like in almost in a kind of old school way. Like he's kind of very dandyish, and he's kind of got this outsider sort of status, and he kind of recognizes he's got other outsiders. Gossipy and yeah, yeah. Um, and it's kind of, it's made much more explicit in the film in that you know Nico Santos is like I'm like the rainbow sheep of the family. Yeah, I love um, that though. He was so good in the movie. He was really great, and I really want to see like. I really want to see more of him, but like he in the books, he's just not given that much of a storyline. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, I, I really um, enjoy him and uh, all of sort of the other side players. Uh, now that I sort of go back to it, it's sort of kind of, again, like much of the other um, <laughs> many other things in the uh, books, it kind of frustrates me. Um, partly because like he's like a sideline, he's kind of like a stereotype. In that, you know, he's, like, the flamboyant, heavily coded, like, gay-slash-queer person in the family. Um, but, I mean, like, you know, um, queerness is illegal in Malaysia and Singapore. I, yeah, I only found that out after I read Singapore, this book, yeah. Singapore, it's, like, it's a very lax... Um, like, they don't really enforce it, and it is because they don't want to put off uh, the many, many um, white expats who work in Singapore and, you know, help drive the economy and also that they don't want to discourage, you know, the many, many tourists who come there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, the colonial law is still there. And recently, um, especially after the success of Crazy Rotation of the film, um, people, especially high-profile people, started pushing to repeal it again. And uh, ministers were just like, well, we can't impose you know, 
a law on like the majority because of a minority, etc., etc. We've just got to make sure, like, eventually Us? the morals will like you know it will sh- the they will shift over time. Opinion will shift over time, and that's when we'll you know that kind of bullshit essentially. What? But, but like they're just literally asking to d- decriminalize because like, well, um, as far as I've read, it's um same sex acts are a punishable offense, but it's, a fine of like two thousand pounds, the equivalent. Yeah, it's a similar. I think it's kind of like the same. I think it's the same law that just got pre- repealed yet again in India. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and it's um, it's much more heavily enforced in Malaysia, uh, especially since the new government came to power. Yeah, so but like that kind of like heavily heavily coded like character being sidelined and being kind of like a, a stereotype. That now that I go back to it in the books, it's really frustrating. But also, you know, he's. You know, he's one of part of like the richest families in like Singapore and mm. even like Southeast Asia and Asia. He'll be fine. Yeah. Like nothing's ever going to happen to him. Do you think Kevin Kwan could write a book about ordinary <laughs> working middle class Chinese people? <laughs> he's got a contract to write a TV series and it's going to be yet again about rich people. So I don't think he sure. ever wants. He's not interested in poor I people. I don't think what And why should he be? <laughs> <laughs> I just no, I don't think he I don't think he ever will. Like he but it's like it's like fucking Julian Fellows in Downton Abbey. He's yeah. never gonna write about poor people, ordinary people. They're boring. They're boring and ugly. Yeah, but it's like he what like Kevin went to like these boarding schools and he's like he knows all of these people in real life. Um Yeah, what he, would he even say? You know? <laughs> like <sighs> Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, maybe we should probably wrap up. Is there anything you'd like to uh promote or uh, any work that you've got coming out that you'd like to uh, toot about <laughs> oh I guess um, this is like two years old now but um, I wrote an essay for The Good Immigrant uh, which came out in 2016 um, and mine was about uh, basically the British Chinese and um, I guess to a sort of lesser extent um, other East and Southeast Asians in Britain and about how we're classified as kind of like this model, invisible model minority, which is bullshit. Mm. Uh, and then last year I wrote an essay for um, Can We All Be Feminists, which was out with yes. Virago. Edited I well, by... I have it at home. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, edited by June Eric Godori and mine's about gender discrimination in the immigration system. Great. And you're also very good on Twitter, if you want to... I don't want to Twitter too much. Um, I'm sorry about, like, this is supposed to be, like, a podcast about, like, rom-coms, and I was just like, oh my god, social issues, and all of the no, rich this people is, awful. this is what it is. Like, it's always this. <laughs> it's always like, yeah, romance, but also, let's talk about gender discrimination. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've, I've loved having you on. Thank you for having us in uh, this wonderful office. <laughs> <laughs> This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaralineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Dave for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com